the day that I left Afghanistan, I knew it was going to be for the last time. It was one of the hardest days of my life, probably. There were young Afghans there, young Afghan women in particular that I had become close to and was sort of mentoring while I was there. And I didn't know what was going to be in store for them in the future and, and wasn't sure if I was going to see them again. And so that becomes personally very, very difficult. Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Leading Great Teams, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Colonel Retired Scott Halstead, and welcome to this episode of Army Matters. Military intelligence leaders generally work behind the scenes and shun public recognition. So today I'm really excited to hear about the unique and impactful leadership journey of today's guest, Major General Michelle Schmidt. She's an incredibly humble leader and trailblazer in both the military intelligence and special operations communities. General Schmidt has deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan 18 times over the past 20 years and has a well-earned reputation for building and leading great Army, Joint, and interagency teams. General Schmidt currently serves in the Pentagon as the Director of Force Development. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. You've selflessly served the Army and the nation for over 30 years. But let's go backwards. Let's, let's take our listeners back to the late 1980s when you were <laughs> applying to colleges. What made you interested in attending West Point? Why West Point? <laughs> yeah. And I know you're a softball player, so maybe it was athletics got you in the door and the Army profession kept you there. No, Our, not at all. Definitely was not the athletics that got me in, but yeah. You were a core squad athlete, though, weren't you? No, I was. Yeah. I went to West Point expecting to be a Division One runner and uh, ended up on the marathon team immediately. When I, The time trials were my fastest times in high school, you know, off of five hours sleep and those those awful Brooks chariots they uh, right, right. issued us. I'm like, I cannot run that fast. And so I <laughs> I found greatness in intramurals and marathon. First of all, taking me back to the late 1980s, that really, really makes me feel old right now. But that's where we are, I guess, Scott, aren't we? I went to see a counselor at my high school who actually dug up a book on West Point. And so I started reading about it. And and, uh, and I just thought it would be a, a really great place to go. And, you know, I think all of us in high school, you know, we're, we all are idealistic and we want to make the world a better place. And it seemed like West Point was a, a good place to go to to start to help make the world a better place. So it's super idealistic. Michelle, I'm sure that a lot of that idealism is still with you today, and we're all better off for it. After your time at West Point, you served in a number of key intelligence positions, and then you had a unique opportunity to serve as a military intern for Paul Wolfowitz, the Deputy Secretary of Defense. Can you tell us what it was like on 9-11 and the weeks following the attacks on our nation? As you said, I was an intern. My job was really, you know, open up the office, get things ready for the day for uh, the deputy. And I came in early. I was probably in around, you know, 6 or 6.30, got the office ready, um, went through, you know, the read book and that type of thing for him. And then I remember telling my boss around 8 in the morning I was going to go for a a run. So actually, I was out running and I was coming back uh, when the plane hit the building. I didn't see the plane hit the building, but I saw this huge explosion. And, and, uh, I thought it was a bomb actually. And, you know, I started sprinting toward the building and by the time I got to the building, everybody was running out and just sort of try to make my way back in. And 
this would take up the whole podcast, I think, just to talk about the story alone. But long, long day in and out of the Pentagon trying to help get people out, trying to trying to find my office and make sure that the deputy was fine, which he was. They had whisked him off away to a different site. But yeah, that was um, uh, that was a crazy day. And about that time, I was wondering, you know, am I staying in? Am I getting out? And after that happened, it was like, OK, I'm going to stay in until we we bring justice to this guy. We already, I think that day, had an idea of who was behind it. So that sort of motivated me to keep at this for a little while longer. Well, Michelle, we're all better off for your continued service. Since your time in the Pentagon on 9-11, you've deployed 15 times to Iraq and three times to Afghanistan. And most of these deployments are with our elite special operations forces. What are some of the most important leadership lessons you've learned during all your time in combat? The multiple deployments, most of those were were short ones. It, obviously, I didn't do 15, 12-month deployments, uh, a lot of short deployments, and a couple of long ones, but, but a number of shorter ones. But uh, I think what I saw over the years with the best leaders there were um, the power of being calm under pressure. So leaders who can, um, no matter what the situation is, just sort of maintain this calm, steady presence. And I, I saw that over and over again, I think, uh, on the special ops side in particular, but also on the conventional side. Then I, you know, frankly, I saw the opposite as well in deployments, whether it's multiple short tours or or a couple of long tours, obviously can be a grind after a while and, and wear people down. And so someone who I saw that was very, very good at maintaining motivation and, and sort of inspiring people to keep going was, of course, General McChrystal, who was just phenomenal at that. What he would do is he would come in periodically from time to time and just talk about these heroic actions that were taking place by our teams that were out there. And and it was just inspiring. And then, of course, talk about why we're there. And and I think everybody needs that. And these reminders, um, especially when things are turning into a little bit of a grind or people are getting tired and wondering what we're doing. It's really important to keep going back to the why, why right. we're there, why, you know, why we are making a difference, um, despite how tough it could be at times. I think I learned about myself that you can get a little bit addicted to deployments. People do. Um, you can probably deploy too much. I learned that, you know, basic things that, you know, you need breaks, you need sleep, you need PT, you need these things, but you also have to look out for other people because. Uh, you can ask them to go and to give over and over and over again, and, and they will, especially people who are part of these unique teams, and they will never say no. And so right. sometimes you have to step in and, and say no for them, I think, and you have to be the one to do that and tell people when it's time to to take a break. You know, Michelle, I don't think we talk enough about taking breaks to regain some semblance of balance, regardless of the stress levels of a deployment. Was there a specific time you felt burned out or really needed a break? I mean, with 18 deployments over the years, there must have been a moment or two. Yeah, this was in Kandahar. So this was post uh, um, a series of nonstop deployments to Iraq between 2003 and 2010. I mean, pretty much nonstop for me. It was a very, very tough deployment in Kandahar. It was a very kinetic environment still and. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of soldiers lost and injured, and it was really, really tough for everybody. And and I remember General Odierno actually came out to visit. He was the chief of staff of the army then, and he came out and we gave him a briefing. And then I knew him from because he had been deployed to Iraq, 
you know, nonstop for, for years at a time. And I briefed him on what was going on in Kandahar and he, he pulled me aside after and said, Hey, how are you doing? Cause last time I saw you was in Iraq and the time I saw you before that was in Iraq and, you know, it was just nonstop. And, and I said, sir, you know, truthfully, I, you know, I need a break. I'm not sure how much longer I can do this. And he looked at his XO who was, um, Mark O'Neill at the time, actually, but he said, Hey, help her out, like get her where she can, you know, kind of take a break and we can hang on to her for a while. And I was very, very thankful for that, um, yeah. that he took the time to talk to me and then just make sure that I, I had a, a year ahead where I could sort of catch my breath a little bit. Michelle, I was in task force fury in the Zari and Maywan districts in 2012. And I tell my friends that was by far the hardest thing I've ever been through. And speaking of breaks, we need to take a quick one here. But we'll be back with Major General Michelle Schmidt to talk about her experiences in the final days of Afghanistan. Have you purchased your AUSA swag yet? Be proud to show your support for AUSA, which in turn shows your support for the U.S. Army and our soldiers. Check out all AUSA swag at shop.ausa.org. We're back with Major General Michelle Schmidt, who has deployed 18 times to Iraq and Afghanistan in the last two decades. Michelle, as I look at the arc of your career, you've spent so much time doing important work for our army, our nation, and really in support of our allies and partners. What I find really interesting is that you were in the Pentagon on 9-11, and then you were in Afghanistan in 2021 at the end of America's longest war. Can you share with our listeners what it was like to be there in those final days? I actually wasn't expecting to go back to Afghanistan, and General Miller asked me to, and so I was I was honored that he asked me to, and and so I of course I went, and um, I wasn't looking forward to it at first to be honest. Um, but when I got out there, I was so glad I was there. It was a fantastic deployment because it was one of the one of the few deployments where I actually had a chance to interact with the Afghans. You get to know them uh, more, and and you become close to them, and and you hope for the very very best for them, and you want to honor the sacrifice of all the soldiers and people who had been lost before then. But you also want to make sure you end this so that the, the Afghans have a good future ahead of them. But I think it was apparent to all of us that this was probably not going to end well. It was going to be bad. It was just a matter of how bad it was going to be. And so we were you know, doing everything in our power to make sure it was we were going to leave them in the, in the best possible situation. I guess it was not a surprise that it didn't end well. I think it was a surprise for me how quickly it it spiraled downward after we left, but we all knew it was it was not going to end well. The day that I left Afghanistan, I knew it was going to be for the last time. It was one of the hardest days of my life, probably. There were young Afghans there, young Afghan women in particular that I had become close to and was sort of mentoring while I was there, and I didn't know what was going to be in store for them in the future, and, and wasn't sure if I was going to see them again. And so that becomes personally very very difficult. And then you realize that other people are going through the same sort of thing. Despite how it ended, um, there are very good things um, that we did for that country and that we all should be very, very proud of in giving, I think, I, a generation of Afghans now a chance, at least an understanding of, of what's out there, of um, education and a little bit wider view of the world, and which I think is, is good um, no matter what the ending is. That's that's always good and then will help propel them forward. Uh, I think it's on us now, all of us as leaders, to understand it just because it ended and we left, it doesn't mean that it's ended for a, a number of people and we still need to 
lead our way through this and take care of our folks. Michelle, my last tour in Afghanistan was in 2017, um, and I served as an advisor to the 201st Corps. So when I when I left Tactical Base Gambari and, and flew back to Bagram, I was the only person on the Blackhawk. And as I looked down as we were hovering, you know, I saw my American teammates, I saw my Polish teammates, and I saw my Afghan partners. And it was really hard to say goodbye to them. And we had invested so much together into the security of Eastern Afghanistan. I was at a complete loss for words. I just wept. It was just, it was more difficult to leave that deployment than any other deployment I've been on before. So I know exactly how you feel as you, as you leave something you've invested so much time in. Michelle, I know that you and all of our senior leaders are so busy. You've got such a frenetic lifestyle. Are you able to still make time to read? And if so, what do you like to read? Uh, yeah, Scott. So I, I am a reader um, and I try to read a variety of, of books, um, you know, some professional books. But like you said, also some books just to take a break sometimes and little escape now and there. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Endurance. The story of Shackleton. Absolutely. I love that book. I just love that whole story. I mean, it's a true story and it's just this amazing story to begin with, uh, but it's also a book on leadership, what this guy did for his crew. And I, I I won't wreck it for everybody who hasn't read it, but it's really, really good and just a really, really good story that happens well, to be a true story. You well, know, the idea of your plan completely falls apart. You eat whale blubber yeah. to keep your keep your That's team right. alive and, and eventually you accomplish sort of the mission. No, incredible story. Absolutely. So that's a book that I often um, recommend to people, but there's another book called Thinking in Time. Uh, That's that's a little bit more of looking back on history and and using it to help inform the decisions that are that might be made in the future. That's a good one. Like War, I'm sure you've heard of that or read that. And Ghost Fleet, those are good ones um, that are helpful to think about for the future too. There's one I just read that a friend of mine recommended to me called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, it was just a intriguing name. Uh, so I read that book and I've sent it to a few people just because it's a different way of looking at things, especially for those of us who are constantly hurrying and constantly trying to, you know, squeeze one more minute out of the day. Right. Uh, it's kind of a good book to help you balance there. But now <laughs> I'm reading this book, and which you might appreciate, called Fast After 50. Huh. That's a fictional book, obviously. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's trying to help those of us after 50 realize we, we don't necessarily have to slow down as much as we think we might. So no, Michelle, I think that still sounds like a fiction book. Michelle, we're out of time now. Do you have any final thoughts? Are there any other leadership lessons learned over your 30 years in uniform that you'd like to share with our listeners? It's funny when you say 30 years, because it, it has been, which is, sounds incredibly long. But it really has gone by very, very quickly, and I really have enjoyed all of it. I mean, despite the the numerous deployments, but I've enjoyed them for the for the most part. But the best part about it is has, of course, been the people. Part of that working with people is is the leadership part, and and it's extremely important. I've uh, had some advice from someone a, a a while ago, maybe ten years ago, that we can't just talk about. It. You have to train it. You know, you have to train folks on how to be good leaders, the same way we would train people how to shoot or how to do PT. You actually have to work on it. It's and and I still work on it. And I learn every single day, and I take note of of what I learn and how to be better uh, the next day. But it is a journey, and it's an enjoyable one. And and so I um, am jealous of those who are just starting out here and just getting into this. 
So Michelle, we've served together one time before, but we have a ton of mutual friends. I have looked up to you for a long time. Thank you for your incredible selfless leadership of our military through especially the last 20 years of, of hard deployments. And I'm super excited to see what the Army does next with you, that you get to continue you know, building and leading your own great teams and inspiring your peers and all the young people who get to work for you. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Scott. And thanks for your service as well. And thanks for being a great friend to so many of us over the years. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army day. Hua. <laughs>